welcome to episode 22 of In the Abstract, the Lakeland Title Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Johnson, the founder and owner of Lakeland Title. And for this episode, we're going to discuss some of the legal implications surrounding the accidental shooting on the Rust movie set, which of course involved Alec Baldwin. Uh, the way this episode came about is because a friend of the show, Nathan Velasquez, who has the YouTube channel, The Five Minute Critic, he's done a lot of content on the Rust movie shooting. And he often, because he's a filmmaker and not a lawyer, he had questions about kind of the, the legal implications and kind of how things would play out legally. And so I suggested to him, let's jump on a Zoom with a friend of mine, Chris Wheeler, who's an entertainment attorney in Los Angeles. And we can kind of discuss these legal implications and kind of, you know, answer any questions that he might have. And so this episode is a result of that conversation. So I hope y'all enjoy it. Chris Wheeler, I'm a shareholding attorney with the firm of Framework Law Group in Los Angeles. I practice in the entertainment space and the trademark space and the copyright space and all sorts of fun stuff. Awesome. Awesome. So we're here today to talk about the arbitration, really, but kind of any other legal questions that might come up in terms of the whole Rust shooting Alec Baldwin fiasco that's kind of dominated entertainment conversation uh, for a good while now. Um, going into it, Chris, looking over the arbitration, what are some of actually, could you actually start by giving us kind of a definition as to what arbitration is? Sure. Yeah, arbitration is a private form for dispute resolution. It's essentially like going to court, but instead of suing people, you file an arbitration and it's handled privately. So there are a lot of, depending on your perspective, there are a lot of advantages or disadvantages to an arbitration. In the entertainment industry, uh, agreeing to an arbitration is incredibly common because you want to keep things private. And the last thing you want to be known as is either A, a producer that sues their, their actors, or B, an actor that, that's a troublemaker and sues their producers or messes with them. So oftentimes you will see in a contract uh, for whatever service in the entertainment industry that the parties are contractually agreeing to arbitrate their disputes rather than going in and filing it in court and it being public. So that's at the most fundamental level what an arbitration is. Okay. So in, in going through what was filed, um, I guess bird's eye view before getting into kind of more of the details of what's at play here. What is Baldwin essentially saying? So he's saying a lot. And, and you know, I, I, I have a lot to say about, about the arbitration, the complaint that's being filed. First, you hardly ever see these. Uh, the whole idea of it being private, generally there would be a clause in the contract that you sign that you're arbitrating under that says that arbitration or the fact that we're even having an arbitration is confidential and shall not be disclosed. Apparently that wasn't at play in this one. And that's not a huge surprise. A big star like Alec Baldwin has leverage and is probably on equal playing field with the producers of Rust. And so he's going to be able to get a more favorable arbitration agreement in place than a lot of other folks would. Uh, but the fact that it became public, I, I, I chuckled to myself when I was looking at some of the coverage in media on it and say, you know, the, all, the, all the news reports saying, oh, we obtained a copy. We obtained a copy. Well, there's only one way you could have obtained the copy, and that's if Baldwin's attorney gave it to you. So Baldwin wanted this out there. I, I'd be shocked if he didn't. And the reason I say that too is because the plain Jane allegations of this complaint should have taken about five paragraphs to write. But this thing goes on for like 38, 50 something pages. I, I mean, a long time. It's really time. long. It's really long. 
Yeah, it's 38 pages. And they're going through the blow by blow of how the thing, how the shooting happened and how much Baldwin cares and how much he had talked to the, the husband and the and the son of the uh, of, of the woman. And in the, in the, in the middle of in the middle of looking at it, I honestly thought to myself, if we were to kind of make an adaption of this, we could open it with like Baldwin was born on the blah, blah, blah in 1940s. <laughs> exactly. And in fact. They include excerpts from the script in the arbitration. That's that's ludicrous. None of that's necessary. So this thing was written to play in the media. It got filed, I think, right after he gave that just disastrous interview. And so this was largely to rehabilitate his image. He wanted to get out his side of the story. And there's a whole lot of what we would call irrelevant uh, things that would just are relevant to, to the actual issue at hand here, which is really quite mundane and really boring and happens all the time. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole thing was a PR move and uh, really? he's going on and on. I'm sorry. He, he's going on and on about his offering to settle with the, with the husband and the yeah. surviving son. And that has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on the issues at hand. That's purely in there as fodder for somebody in the media, insider.com, E entertainment tonight, whoever, to pick up on and say, oh, Alec, it looks like a good guy. So that, that's what was really going on here. Uh, but the actual legal dispute in here is, is very boring. Is there a goal here to really get something settled or is it just like you're saying PR? No, there is absolutely, it is, it is a, absolutely is a goal. This arbitration provision, this complaint, it is largely PR. Once you peel back all the layers of the PR, there is something that is important in the center of it. And that is Baldwin is seeking indemnification from the production company. And what indemnification is, is it is a contractual agreement that's very common that says, if I do something to you, other contractual party, and what I did cause this other contractual party to get sued, I am the one that has to pay. Now, in this situation, it's a little bit unusual because you have Baldwin playing kind of two roles with this production company. First, you have him as an employee, as an actor. That really isn't what this thing is about at all, because an employer, the production company, is responsible for what their employee does. So that would be clear if Baldwin were to, you know, get sued himself. As an employee, the production company would be liable. What really this is about, though, is Baldwin's other role that he played, and that was as an investor and a producer of the film. And under the production agreement, Baldwin had received this identification from the production company. So what he is trying to say at this point is, hey, what I did on the set, that wasn't, that wasn't my problem. I was following the production company's lead production company, you've agreed to indemnify me. So now that people are coming after me, you got to pay for me. That's what the suit is, or arbitration is really about for Baldwin. So with arbitration is the next step with something like the, who, who's uh, who the balls in whose court right now, like what happens when something so, like this is filed? So it generally will parallel a, a civil, a civil lawsuit. So with, with very, you can agree the part, since it is all private, the, the parties to the arbitration can agree to alter the rules, however the, the two of them see fit. So generally what would happen next is 
whoever this was filed, whoever was served with this, which was the Rust Movie LLC and also Ryan Smith, another one of the producers, they will have the opportunity to file an answer to this complaint. If I were their attorney and filing the answer, it would just deny, 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 deny. Uh, it, 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 it arguably, I'd try possibly to get several of these things struck because they're just they have no bearing on the outcome of the case that the script read this. What's bearing on the op, on the case is what was said in my production contract. Uh, that's all. I mean, that's all that matters. Um, but they'll file an answer. At that point, they'll go into some sort of discovery. I can't imagine there will be much discovery here. They'll probably want to take depositions, maybe. But everybody, you know, there's not a lot of debate about the facts, um, except for the unknown facts of how did the bullet get on the set. But, you know, a woman got shot. She died. Baldwin was the one with the gun in his hand. Uh, it was on. It was on the motion picture set. It was during the course of the production, and um, and now people are getting sued left and right. And there was this agreement in place uh, between Baldwin and the production company, and we're all in alignment that that agreement is valid. So there won't be a fight over that. And then, so I can't. I can't foresee there being a lot of discovery. And then they'll go in front of the arbitrator and they'll argue like a court case. And then the arbitrator will eventually issue a written decision, and that will be that. And as members of the public, we will never find out what happens. It will all remain confidential. Uh, if the only way we would find out what, would, what has happened would be if the arbitrator issues a ruling and then one of the parties doesn't abide by that ruling, you have the ability to then go into a real court with the arbitration, with the arbitration decision and say, hey, Mr. Real Judge, would you enforce this agreement that the arbitrator, will you enforce this decision of the arbitrator? That's the only way these decisions ever come public. It's it's not going to happen here. We will never know what happened. Or if it or if it accidentally gets leaked. Well, somebody leaves it on the copy machine. That 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 could that rarely happens though, because if it accidentally gets leaked, it'll be real, real obvious who it came from. Because you'll either know you're the one that leaked it or you weren't. <laughs> well, it also seems like there's such kind of like you were saying with the arbitration, it seems like there's such a so much of this is being cooked for being sent out to news organizations. You would kind of wonder, maybe, I don't know, if that'd be something that, you know, they want for the decision to be leaked. It could be. It could be. But a lot of press on this doesn't do anybody any good, For certainly not Baldwin. Uh, but it doesn't do the production company and the others involved any good either, because it's very likely they could be just as culpable. Um, so keeping, you know, keeping this private, keeping it quiet is in everybody's best interest. And that's why they initially agreed to have an arbitration in the first place. So if the arbiter rules in favor then of Baldwin, essentially the Rust Production Company will be, I suppose, backing all of the fees that Baldwin's going to have to be going through with all these other lawsuits that are kind of in the works right now. So, yeah, so it'll be twofold. One, uh, the production company will end up having to take care of Baldwin throughout whatever all these lawsuits that are going on and you know he's getting sued by everybody under the sun but also but also and this is key baldwin will be indemnified for his defense when remember baldwin owns part of the production company Mm. he was an investor in the film the film the production company was a special purpose company created just for this film which is a very common practice to protect yourself from liability which we'll get into that i i I can imagine uh 
But the production company itself was a one-off special purpose entity that was created for the purpose of this film. Baldwin owns some sort of a percentage of that under, under the financing agreement. So there's also the possibility that Baldwin will need, to, you know, if, if there's a $10 million reward, if there's a $10 million award against, against um, the Rust Movie LLC, Rust Movie Productions LLC, well, then who has to kick in and pay that? Well, the financiers, the LLC, generally are insulated from liability, but from their, but they're not when they're the ones that caused it themselves. And here you have an unusual situation where one of the owners of the company is also the one that created the peril. So you could see a situation where Baldwin is also trying to protect himself from his liabilities as an owner of the company. Well, and I guess his two roles do make that really, really strange because you do have so many people that are some people will go full in on his capacity as an actor. He's holding the gun when it goes off. He was he did he ever have eyes on whether or not the bullet was, uh, you know, real or if it was a dummy. And then you go down the chain of command. But then at the same time, even if you like completely absolve him from that, he's still pretty much on the executive board here. You got to wonder like what culpability. So like in, in, in play of, could you speak to in play of just someone who's holding the gun on the set? What's the level of, I guess you could, whether you want a responsibility or I don't know if that's the right word in something like this, when it comes legally as to what's going on. So legally uh, what happens on a film set is if an accident happens, the production company is the responsible party, period, full stop in a discussion. Uh, they are the employer. These are employee-employee relationships. They are the employer. They are subject to OSHA. They are subject to just anything you would normally see in a workplace. No, no different from if they were running a restaurant, you know, and, and somebody got burned with chemicals in the back of the restaurant, making up a mop bucket. No difference there. So the production company, they're they're the ones that are liable. They are the employer. Period. Except. In very limited circumstances, you can argue that the employee was acting outside of the scope of their employment. That's not going to happen here. But if somebody was working on a movie set and they decided to do something, I mean, I'm having a hard time coming up with an example. They're working on a movie set. They left this, they snuck off the set to go and to go spend some time at their favorite strip club they were drinking and they and they beat up one of the girls like that's clearly like even though you're an employee you're so far attenuated from your actual responsibilities that's not going to be something that would would go back to the employer the production company but that's not a play here no that's a play here so the only way the production company could be absolved would be if somebody intentionally criminally recklessly took the gun, took all the bullets out of it and loaded the, the actual bullet in there and decided they were going to commit a murder. Uh, but, but barring that, and I, I don't think anybody's alleged that this was intentional. I think there was a little bit of chatter that it might've been sabotage, but I think that was to, to put some spin on it in the media. I don't know. That's yeah. There was no, I don't think there was a saboteur. You don't kill somebody. You have to have a really depraved mind to murder, to decide I'm going to murder the cinematographer through Alec Baldwin by sneaking on a bullet. So I, I don't think that was what was going on. Uh, but at the end of the day, so it was an accident. And for pure accidents, the production company is responsible, period. 
So when it comes to, you know, what is, where is Alec Baldwin in this? Because, and I guess maybe even before going there, you see that there are suits that like the armor is, is mentioning Baldwin and, you know, he's got suits that are mentioning the armor. So is all of this just kind of, how, how do you interpret that? Because I see that and I'm like, so why are, do, are we looking for the one person that at the end of the day, there's like a check mark and it's like, there they are. Like, how, how are you supposed to interpret this? So, yes. So the, it, it, is, it is going to be a spaghetti plate full of lawsuits, a spaghetti plate full of arbitrations, because probably, you know, Alec Baldwin had an arbitration provision. Probably a whole lot of other people had arbitration provisions in their agreement, too. If I were writing the production contracts for, for, for a motion picture, they, they absolutely have arbitration provisions in them. So there's going to be all sorts of stuff, public facing and not public facing. There's also going to be indemnification in a lot of these agreements. So you're and not just between, you know, employee, employer, the armorer, if the armorer had their own company, if there were independent contractors coming in onto the set, that if there was business to business, all that's going to have indemnification stuff as well. So it's going to be a ball of people. There's going to be suits. There's going to be cross suits. There's going to be counter suits. There's going to be, if you're into legal civil procedure, boy, have I got a case for you. Uh, this thing is going to, because, and this is going to go on for decades. This thing is going to take 10 years to get unraveled to figure out really? who ultimately respond. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Twilight Zone movie, which happened in 1982. That took 10 years to get that thing fully, un, un, fully resolved. Uh, that for those unaware, that was a, uh, helicopter crash on the set of the twilight zone movie it killed victor morrow and uh, two other child actors in the middle of the night and uh, that was bad really bad and actually resulted in a lot of reforms in the industry uh, it, it, it turned out that the children actors were being paid under the table so they wouldn't have to apply uh, wouldn't have to deal with california labor laws that was oh my bad. gosh <laughs> yeah it was really bad but that took that took a decade that took a decade to uh, get fully unraveled so this thing's going to go on for forever uh, insurance, you know, with low-level people like the armor, I'm calling her a low-level person. I'm sure she's a very nice person. The low-level in the extent of not going to have a lot of money in all likelihood. I mean, yeah, it could be wrong. But Alec Baldwin not, could could out, you know, lawsuit her, you know, for years. Well, that yeah. was that was also my question: Is there insurance to cover these? Do these people have insurance for this? Because no one wants to sue someone personally. That just does not happen in in the legal world. I know. That's kind of shocking for people to hear, but you want to go after an insurance company. That's where the money is. That's who's going to pay out. And so are they covered for this? Do they have like, like we do in our legal practice, do we have, you know, errors and emissions insurance for producers and actors and things like that? Brian, you're, you're absolutely correct. There's, it, this is, you know, there's, there's three ways really that people insulate themselves from liability and the motion picture industry and really every industry for that matter. Uh, the first are indemnity provisions. We've already talked about those, but an indemnity is only as good as the person who's paying for me is their ability to pay. So if, you know, I have an identification from some company that just went bankrupt, well, now I have, my identification is valueless. Um, so identification is one way. The second way is through setting up LLC as a company, and we see that at work here. They created that special purpose entity, that Rust Movie Productions LLC. So again, if you follow all the rules of an LLC, just like any business would have to, that's going to help to limit your liability. And indeed, LLC is short for limited liability company. It's the reason they created them. And the third, the third way is through, it's 
the reason God created insurance for those weird moments that uh, that just kind of happen or those unfortunate moments. Uh, you mentioned an errors and omissions policy. Errors and omissions is going to that's generally a term of art within the within the entertainment industry. It has more to do with uh, if you release if I if I have a new rap song out and I didn't have clear all my samples appropriately and there's not clear example, that will be my error. That's the kind of thing that ENO will generally cover. Uh, motion picture industry comes up with, oh, I had a there was a painting on the wall behind me and the painting on the wall, we didn't have the rights to it. And so now the creator of the painting is suing me. Hey, Mr. Insurance Company, we screwed up. We didn't process paperwork appropriately. But apart from that, you'll probably have a general liability policy. And again, you'll certainly have workers' comp. Um, your employer, you're required to have it by most states. Uh, so you're required to have it in all states unless you comply with one of the alternatives. Uh, but there'll be workers' comp insurance. There'll be general liability insurance. Indeed, on, I don't know about this particular motion picture, but on a lot of them, uh, your actors, actresses, your, your A-list talent will require the production company to add them as an additional insured and get a certificate of insurance and get an endorsement and all you can and, and have, you know, $10 million of, you know, 10, 20, $30 million worth of coverage, a million dollars. Uh, so there's definitely going to be money there. Your question also about going after the armorer and then how long these things are going to drag out for. Well, a lot of the cases, because in all likelihood, this person doesn't have a lot of assets You'll go, okay, well, I'm, I'm the one going after her. Um, I'll tell you what, what's the maximum insurance amount I can get? Okay, it's that amount, right, done. And that'll be that. And so then the insurance company will write a check and the case will be over. There's no sense in going after more money that you may never be able to collect. So you settle it for insurance limits and move on. So that, and undoubtedly that's going on a little bit here as well. But the, the common thing, the interesting thing about this case is most of the people being sued and most of what's going on here, it all comes back to, there's a common element. They were all employed by the same employer. They were all employed by the production company LLC. So it's interesting. That's, that's who I wouldn't be suing the armor. I'd be going after the LLC directly, her employer. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's bad lawyering or if, you know, the only reason I could see the armor being sued personally would be if the production company were saying, no, 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 we get indemnity from her because it was her gross negligence. She acted so outside of the standard of care uh, for a professional armorer that there is no indemnity. She has to indemnify us because she was really, really bad. Uh, but that would be, but again, she didn't have any money, so there's no reason to do that. So it's weird that she's being sued. That's, that's probably a, another PR ploy, to be honest. Well, and the way everyone talks about this, everyone always just asks, when is dot, dot, dot going to prison, essentially? And I feel like that's like a fun way to have a conversation about this. But in terms of like, what, where is it with the DA keeps saying, well, we're waiting for charges. What's the real conversation to be having whenever, you know, someone brings something like that up? It's not to any individual. It's up to the prosecutors in the particular location where the crime, the alleged crime were to have occurred. So the only people that are going to make that decision are going to be the district attorneys in New Mexico that are going to make that choice. 
Uh, if there's evidence of a crime and for a prosecutor to charge a crime, they have to have a lot more belief in it than I do to have to be able to ethically file a lawsuit against somebody. They have to believe that they can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. There's special ethical rules of our profession that apply to prosecutors that don't apply to anybody else. And so they will, they have a higher burden they have to meet. So that's the only way anybody's ever going to jail. You know, how far, when did this happen? This happened just, golly, October? Yeah, it was so, October 21st. 21st. So, I mean, it's been almost no time. Yeah, it's been six months. That's that's no time. Um, so, you know, but they're looking for, for there to be criminal charges here. They, they're going to have to prove, they're going to have to prove something special. So, you know, murder. Murder is... It's, it's always incredibly difficult to prove. They would have to prove that somebody put the bullet into the gun with the intention of killing that woman with and 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 doing it with a bad, dirty heart. I uh, with a um, with a uh, malice aforethought. Yeah. So they were going to do it really bad, and they're going to do it beforehand. That ain't happening. That, happen. that ain't happening. That, that you're not going to prove that. No. Unless there's um, a text message that says, don't worry, it'll be done by 7 a.m. tomorrow morning. I yeah. hate her. I'm going to do it tomorrow. And this is I'm going to do it through Alec Baldwin. No, yeah, that only happens know. on Law and Order. That only happens. Yeah. The, 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 we're not going to have a Matlock, you know, here. And even if we have a Matlock, I, I don't have an enormous amount of faith of the, uh, the whoever's investigating this in very rural New Mexico uh, that they're that they're looking. This ain't CSI. Um, so. So we're not going to see a murder one. Murder two, again, for there to be a murder, you'd have to have uh, you'd have to have somebody acting with such crazy disregard for human life that it's again depraved heart makes you feel dirty. That's me. Well, I didn't mean to kill him, but I just pointed the gun at him anyway and pulled the trigger five times, you know. But I wasn't trying to kill him. You know that it's so reckless, it's so dangerous. That that's not here. What happened? There's no debate about it. Uh, it's it's custom and practice of the industry. I could show you a million film clips of the of the film shot that they were that they were trying to get of him loading the gun, you know, an extreme close up on the gun. That's that's common in a lot of movies. So I could show you that that happens all the time, and that it's not reckless, and that's why we take all these safety precautions. So I don't think you're going to murder two unless somebody's really looking to make some news on this. So the DA's running for re-election and desperately needs something. I don't know if you could get that. Manslaughter, eh. voluntary manslaughter. No, that's not going to apply because you would need self-defense. There's no self-defense involved. Uh, reckless manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter. Maybe, maybe you could get an involuntary. If you could show that somebody was so negligent that they were acting with a wanton, I forget the exact legal definition. Uh, whatever uh but, but an involuntary manslaughter yeah, maybe but you know that's probably three to six years and again yeah no nobody nobody thinks that they did it no no this is if there was going to be arrest i think it would have already happened barring some kind of blockbuster evidence that we don't know yet um it's not i, I will say in in the arbitration uh paperwork which keep in mind this is a complaint it's intended to be biased as all hell that's mm -hmm. why you hire attorneys. You're paying them literally to be to to to, to, to be biased. Uh, you know, you are literally being paid to agree with your client. Uh, 
you know, they bring they pause an interesting theory that says that we got this bo- this box of ammunition that showed up on the set was like was apparently mixed of live and dummy rounds. If that was if that's the case, then that then then how those things got mixed that's that that's an interesting theory that that could be involuntary manslaughter because that's really really especially it was sold by a props company that obviously has experience selling dummy rounds to the motion picture industry so they Mm. would know why it's important that live rounds wouldn't be mixed in Uh, that could be very interesting but barring something like that no one's going yeah well Well, if i was also you're gonna have all you have all these civil suits flying around there are probably going to be some depositions. So someone could say something in one of those depositions or, or many of them that would trigger some sort of criminal criminal case. That happens quite often where someone's in, you know, in a sworn deposition and they say something and, oh, there you go. You incriminated yourself. We're going to file charges now. I mean, that that could happen if they go into these depositions without some sort of immunity agreement or, you know, the case definitively dropped from by the, you know, by the DA. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. That's true, but but it's not like we're going to bring the charges. We're going to go report what you said under oath to the to the district attorney, and then they can choose to bring the charges. But yeah, I mean that that happens, but it, it doesn't happen if I'm defending them, uh, if I'm defending their deposition. So and all these people are going to be lawyered up, come from the wazoo out. I mean that's why we're fighting over indemnification right now. Is who has to pay for all these lawyers? If we're talking about something like involuntary manslaughter, and you have someone who fired a firearm that resulted in someone being killed. And then they say, shit, I didn't even check the gun. Like if, if involuntary manslaughter applies, I'm, I'd be worried it applies here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would too. But the key, the key thing for an involuntary manslaughter is it has to be grossly negligent too. So if if I set up if I'm if I'm going to start shooting cans off of my windowsill with my 22, and I go outside, I check, no one's around. I live out in the middle of the country. You know that that might be just fine. If I'm in a New York City high rise and I decide to start popping off some shots with my next door neighbor, and I set up my tin cans against the wall, then that's probably negligent. So you can have very similar facts and you just change one a little bit and you end up with, you know, the situation, it's very situationally. Um, yeah. And on yeah. a movie set, on a movie set, that's why in this arbitration, which it's frivolous here, not frivolous, it's superfluous, it's not necessary, but Baldwin goes on and on and on about the usual practice on a motion picture set is for the armor to check the gun. Once they hand it to the, the cast member, the cast member, if they, if the cast member opens the barrel to check it themselves and the armorer is not looking over their shoulder, you have to stop everything. Only the armorer can declare a gun clear. The cast member can check it themselves, but they must do it in the presence of the armorer. If, 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 the, if the gun is ever breached, then you got to stop. And so assuming that they followed the custom and practice of the industry, they definitionally were acting as reasonably prudent people in that profession. And so, and if you're acting as a reasonably prudent person in your profession, you cannot be negligent. So if they were following all those procedures, there's probably no involuntary manslaughter here. That's what I was thinking too. I, does it change it at all whenever people like 
you heard, yeah, like George Clooney come out and Nicolas Cage come out being like, I'm shocked that this happened because we know, like George Clooney said, I've known ever since I started with, you know, having a gun on a set that I look at it, I show everyone that I'm going to point it at. Nicolas Cage pretty much said everyone knows that if you're doing all this stuff, you're driving a car, you're riding a horse, you're operating a gun, you use it in the way that you would use it if you're out in the real world. And I thought the same type of thing, whenever I heard people like that at that level say that, it's like, I guess, does that change at all when you have other high level people being like, well, that's not the protocol that we have heard about? So it does in a, in a very limited way. If it, it is good testimony to the fact that, you know, in order to prove that you were acting as a reasonable person and you have to prove that you were following the custom and practice, then the next question is, well, what's the custom and practice? So people like George Clooney coming out and saying, yeah, that's what we do. I mean, that helps to establish that it is the custom and practice of the industry. Of course, you can probably find somebody somewhere who an expert witness who will testify that they did something, that the customer practice is something else. Yeah. Uh, it just, at that point, it becomes a battle over the experts and who you're going to believe, um, really. Okay. So if you had to make a prediction about this, would you say that it actually is something where we have charges or it's something that's much more, um, I don't want to say that, you know, charges would not be messy, but something that's much more like uh, um, in the weeds type of lots of paperwork and just back and forth and fines and things like that? I think this is going to be purely a civil matter, uh, barring, you know, like, like Brian said, some sort of blockbuster moment in a deposition or, you know, OSHA is going to be investigating this as well uh, because it was an occupation. It was a workplace injury. It was a workplace death. So, you know, if they're investigating it and they fit it, you know, if they uncover some sort of evidence that, you know, something so wild was going on here so outside the bounds of normal stuff that you might see a criminal charge come from osha that's really rare uh but it happens uh but you know you'll see administrative fines probably i mean there was a death it was pretty clearly there had to have been some form of negligence for a bullet to be there so you'll probably see something like that but but criminally it, i i don't see i this is yeah. this is, i think will be a purely civil matter Okay, I, I agree. I agree with that. I think, uh, you know, barring, you know, convincing the armorer to plead to some sort of misdemeanor just so they can say that something happened. I don't think any kind of criminal charges are really going to come about unless during this whole, you know, sp spaghetti pile of uh, civil suits, somebody says something in a three hour deposition that they shouldn't say or somebody goes on Instagram live and says something they shouldn't say, barring any sort of those kind of things that kind of you know, jolt everybody uh, to, to, you know, look at this from a criminal angle again. I don't think there's going to be any kind of criminal charges. That's why all of his interviews that he was doing, all like the ABC interview, that's why that seemed very strange. Like, it seemed like, uh, are you get how, like, are you getting yourself in trouble here? That seemed like a very uh, strange move. Well, and yeah, when I did criminal, that was the first thing I told my criminal clients uh, for the, the short time I did criminal was just lay low, like do not talk to anybody about this. Don't post on social media, like just lay low until we get this all settled. We don't need you making any kind of statements or having words out there that the DA can see and, and, and get mad about. And so that is very strange that he would be kind of publicly addressing this as much as he has been. And under the rules of evidence, those interviews are admissible. So okay. I was wondering that too. Like, is that like, whenever you have someone right there and he, they kind of, you know, I don't know how it affects the actual, uh, if you want to call it, a case whenever you have someone say like 
I don't feel any guilt for what's going on. It's kind of like, how are, how are these words? I don't know how these words are going to be used later. I would assume you don't know either. That's a weird, these are weird statements to be making. Yes. <laughs> That's why you shouldn't make any. Exactly. Even, even if you say something that's ambiguous, it, it could be turned against you or you'll have to answer questions about it. We don't like answering additional questions. Well, yeah. outside, outside of, uh, I guess, just exactly uh, the, the legalese of everything, as someone who is in the entertainment industry, lives in that world, how does something like this affect a high status person's career? Like what, with the way everything is going, how does something like this is it a lay low for a while and then everything's fine or how like kind of how or what is being uh, what's going on in that arena? So, yeah, that's, you know, that's, this is why God created publicists to tell you how to deal with this. Uh, right now, uh, you know, Baldwin, there's a lot going on in the world right now that is much more important than this kind of silly. I mean, this is an overall, although a woman died and it's tragedy. Uh, this is all really ser- silly in the overall scheme of what's happening in our world right now. Yeah. So you lay low, you let people forget about it. Um, you try to come out looking good, you know, which, which he did, which, and that's, that's what this is all about. Or at least 78% of it is about trying to look good. Uh, but yeah, you can't really do anything. You probably go and do some volunteer work somewhere, something like that. Uh Alec Baldwin is still a big star. He's still fully, it might ding him a little bit on if he can appear anywhere, you know, if he's bankable or not for a little while. I, I probably wouldn't want him on, on a, in a Western. Um, but you probably, probably take a pivot and do some completely different type of movie that doesn't even, you know, you go to your outer space sci-fi thing, something that doesn't invoke this. You might never do a Western again. But hey, he's Alec in Baldwin, a... He just went to to Italy to do Christmas movies is what he's doing right now. Exactly. So you make a complete pivot on your subject matter. And, you know, the other thing, Al Baldwin's, you know, he, he's, he's not going to, you know, he has, he has television shows, lots of them that he's getting residuals on. So it's not going to break him. He's going to make money for the rest of his life. He can afford to go and lay low, but I don't think he'll be a, you know, he's not going to be the center guy on the middle of the movie poster trying you're using to sell your movie for a while. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that that's probably it, it much more reverberates, not for somebody like Alec, but for everybody else who worked on that. That's not Alec Baldwin. So, you know, your producer, your uh, what's the cat's name, Ryan Smith. Uh, he's probably he, he's has some serious problems. Your armorer probably never works in this town again. Your yeah. armorer, she she needs to go and work on as a gun as a range safety officer somewhere. Change your name, switch what name you go by. She's done. She'll never work in this town again. Yeah, I, I think, think Nicholas Cage actually kicked her off of a set at one point because she was being irresponsible. So this is it, it's a bad narrative around around her. I mean, right now there is, but you know, or or she's being blamed very very unfairly. Uh, but again. Anytime anybody Googles you for the rest of your life, this thing pops up. I, I think she will. It's, it's she, that, you know, if it wasn't her fault, that it's going to be very hard for her to prove. You know, there's already been a lot of judgment in the press. Her name's been sullied. It's going to be very hard for her to work. And there's only, and there's very few armors in this town to begin with. That's a very specialized profession. But there's a whole lot of people that would love to work in it. So it's, it will be difficult for her to find it. Mm. Work, I would think. 
Unless, unless there's somebody bigger that can be blamed for all this and she works out some kind of deal where she takes the fall and in exchange for getting taken care of later. That could always, not, not in the field of being an armorer, but in some other, you know, she's just a mysterious production assistant on everything that gets made later. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm moving to Orlando working for Medieval Times. So I'm never touching a firearm again. I'll arm you with a, a lance. We can go ride horses. <laughs> Let's hope she just doesn't have a lance accent at some point. It's just, it's just <laughs> well, that, 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 that would be very pro- or, or a horse accent. That would be very problematic. Well, Chris, is there any other comments in on this whole fiasco? Any other uh, any other angles? Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of key takeaways. First, you know, these things are rare. You know, that's why they make such big news. These things happen incredibly rarely. You, you had you you had the. You had the Twilight Zone accident in 1982. That was a horrible, horrible accident. Uh, you know, killed three people. Two of them were children. Uh, the director on that was Michael Landis. He went on a very, very successful career. The producer was this guy you may have heard of him called Steven Spielberg. He's, he's had a very successful career. Uh, you had the, uh, was it Knight Rider? What was the movie called? Was it The Crow? Midnight Rider. Midnight, oh, Midnight Rider. Rider. Midnight Rider, that, look at that, you did see people go to jail. That's where you had the bed being put onto the active railroad bridge and the people performing on it and the, and the train coming and killing them over, I think it was in Georgia. People went to jail for that. It was, it was really bad. Uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was bad. The producer went to jail on that. Uh, but okay, so there's your really, really re- examples of really, really, really reckless. Let's go perform on active railroad tracks. I know they're active. Let's just do it. Uh, yeah, uh, but by and large, these accidents like this, they don't, they, they're pretty rare and you don't see them very often anymore. Uh, I, I think the biggest reason for that is you have a union. You got to remember all this, you know, people, people have their takes on unions, but some unions that aren't very controversial are the entertainment industry unions because they do a really good job of taking care of their people and they've been around for a really long time. And the Screen Actors Guild, uh, you know, if you get, if the Screen Actors Guild has the ability to blacklist a production company. And so if people call into their safety hotline and say, I'm not doing this, they'll get investigated. So the unions have really helped to, to make sure that these places are safe. Uh, dead actors aren't good for anybody. So or our cinematographers or anybody else. So I think, I think these things are really rare. I think that's something that we lose sight of, but you know, by their nature, they employ, they generally happen with somebody who has, some notoriety and it's Hollywood. So it's glitzy to report on it, but they just don't happen very, very often or else they wouldn't be big news. Like a car accident, you hear about it for half an hour on the local news. And that's that, this isn't that, this is big time. So I think that's important to keep in mind that they're really rare. Number two, uh, the other thing that I would say is it's a good takeaway just for everybody across, no matter what your industry is, if you're a business owner, remember the three, the three keys to liability protection. You know, remember your indemnity clauses when somebody's working for you. Remember your uh, remember to set up your LLCs to protect yourself personally, your personal assets, and remember why God created insurance at the end of the day. Uh, you, you carry insurance. You know that's all you can do as a business owner, and in Hollywood's no different. Uh, so those are the, those are my key takeaways. Oh. One other thing I would also add was people talk about this as a small film, you know, it wasn't a big project. Okay, sure, but 
this thing had a, somewhere, but it's been publicly reported, had somewhere between a six and seven million dollar budget. They have three executive producers, six producers, 53 crew members and 20 people on their cast. This was this is not a small operation. This is running a small, medium sized business. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's what all this is. It's just a business. Uh, so it was it was like running an accounting firm <laughs> in some ways. But some just had a gun. And someone just happened to to have a gun and uh, somehow a live bullet. The the fact that there was a live bullet on the set is mind blowing, mind blowing. Yeah, and that's that's if they do find out that there was something with that company, that would be because it's it's very bizarre. Well, and the fact that they were practicing with live ammunition the day before this happened is, I mean, like I, I kind of wonder where that's going to come into. I mean, like crew members were target practicing. It's just with, very, with, it's very with with the picture guns with the picture weapons. Oh wait, sorry, what was that? With the picture weapons, they were with with on camera weaponry. They were going out target practicing. I don't know if they were using prop guns, but in all of the reporting, everyone there were people saying that part of the reason that crew members had left. There were like a bunch of crew members that actually left the set because right. they were saying guns were misfiring and things like that. One thing they were saying was that crew members were using guns to target practice like around the area, like at, you know, tin cans yeah, and things well, okay. like that. So, so that's, so, okay. So people are going to target practicing in the middle of the desert in New Mexico. I mean, that's, that's incredibly common. I mean, everybody does that. Uh, well, I guess this know. is people that are on the crew are doing this. Well, so, so, so what, you know, how many guys working out in the oil industry, you know, out in the middle of Texas somewhere, take their shotguns with them and shoot quail in the afternoon to have a barbecue. I mean, that's really, really common, especially out in the desert. That said, that said, if you know, if these guys were off the clock going to bust a few gauge shells, that's one thing. In the evening, if they were out there with prop guns, it, which which let's be clear here, prop guns—that's a misnomer. These are real guns. Yeah, they're, they're all used guns. As props. Yeah, they're real. But if they were out there with picture weapons, the armorer—that I mean, that's unbelievably negligent. Uh, the the that that's un- it's, it's unbelievable. It's unfathomable if that would be happening. Um, so if it came out that that's what was going on, then it's like, yeah, you guys go ahead. I'll check them later. Like at that point, is that the type of thing where it's like this might actually be on her? Yeah, you're starting to look at something that would be outside of the custom and practice of the industry, allowing people to go and freelance with the picture weapons. Yeah, that would be uh, that that would be problematic. Uh, I just thought it was interesting they brought up the oil industry because uh, I kind of see the movie industry might take a similar track to that because the oil industry, a lot of things are done, uh, you know, not because of OSHA regulations or legalities or anything like that. They're done because the insurance company makes you. And so a lot of the safety things that go on on an oil rig are because your insurance company will make you or they'll, you know, pull your insurance. And so that might happen in the movie industry where movie industry insurance companies are going to start saying, you're going to do these safety protocols. You're going to run things this way, or we're not going to insure you and you're done. And so that might be something that comes out of this is that the insurance companies will start saying, you know, we're, you want that insurance. You're going to do things the way that we say, because we're not paying out again. (laughs) It is called a takeover agreement and they exist. There's, which gives the insurance company the right to come in and literally take over production of the film if they learn of something going on. You also have a completion bond, which says if something really bad happens on the set and you can't finish your movie, we have the right to come in here and complete it. Uh, I don't think that that's going to come into play here because that move, this movie is it's unsellable at this point. Uh, so there's no value there to be had. But uh, yeah, what you're talking about, yeah, a lot of things happen. Uh, where yeah they're doing it because it's a requirement of their insurance company 
you see a lot of that, you know, in E&O insurance talking about, you know, making sure you have all the rights and everything. You have to go through, you have to turn in a binder and you have to go through 40 different things to, so you can get your E&O policy and say, yes, we did this, yes, we did this, yes, we did that. Now, that's not quite as insane as safety, uh, What you see in the industry agreement and then in the insurance agreements are you agree to abide by certain industry policy or public, like we're going to be in compliance with SAG regulation 1440, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, it's become, it's because of a lawsuit. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you for taking the time to come, come on and talk about this. Brian, thank you also for coming on and talking about this. It's very, very insightful. It, it's a lot of points I had no idea about, but it makes, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to set it all up and, and connect you with uh, somebody that I know that is industry veteran that could shed some light on this because I've seen you've been doing a lot of content on it. So I said, let's let's get a couple lawyers on here to just kind of chew the fat on it. Well, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I know I had a lot of fun making it. Chris and Nathan always have interesting things to say. And so I always enjoy talking to them. Uh, Nathan also used this conversation to make his own video, which you can find on his YouTube channel, The 5-Minute Critic. I'll put a link to that video down in the description if you want to check that out. Uh, all my contact information will be in the description as well. And I'll put a link to Chris's website in case you want to reach out to him for any reason. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'd appreciate it if you would like and subscribe and feel free to leave us any feedback in the comments. If you're listening on a podcast platform, I would also appreciate if you would subscribe and give us a review. And if you want to send us any of your feedback, you can do that uh, at podcast at brclosing.com. And I'll see y'all next time.